verse 27. I've got it written down. And he tells us three things that the cross did. And it's interesting because these three things aren't always the typical things you talk about when you talk about the cross. Um, you know, classic forgiveness of sins, salvation. But they're not the things Jesus talks about, interestingly, here. Um, and the three things all mark a massive change in direction. Um, it's almost like up to this point, since the beginning of time, there's been a flow of history, a flow of direction, of travel, of all humanity. It's going this way and this way and this way. And it's at this point, Jesus brings three things that alter the flow of reality, alter the, the way things happen. It's a bit like the internet, the invention of the internet. Once the internet was created, it totally changed our modern world, didn't it? Suddenly, uh, communication across the world and transfer of data and millions probably of lives saved through sharing information. Totally changed the world. And then there was a ton of depravity as well, as you know, but totally, the world's not the same. For good or bad, the world is not the same anymore. And Jesus here is saying, three things are happening at this hour. And the world will never be the same again. And so we can see these three things in verses 31 and 32. So John 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, I am lifted up from the earth and I will draw all people to myself. So three things. Um, the judgment of this world is happening. The ruler of this world will be cast out. And he will draw all people to himself. Now for those who haven't been with us, we're, we've just had him the joyful, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. That's where we're at in the story. And so he's about to hit the cross and he's saying, my hour has come. John's been, in the book of John, been building us up to this point to, it's a high point. And Jesus is saying here, this is not just you know, a high point, some key point in my life, but a key point in all of human history. Things are changing. There's an interruption. It's like um, a blackout. You're going about, normal life is happening, and then poof, everything changes. Maybe the alarm goes off suddenly, and you all have to exit the building. Something's happening to totally change the normality of the world. Nothing will be the same again. And last week, what brought all this on was Greeks coming to see Jesus, seeking him out and wanting to learn from him. And it was that that triggered him to say, this is the hour, it's all happening now. That non-Jews would come and seek him. And we're at the peak, it's all kicking off. And so we're getting quite excited. But what does it mean for Jesus that his hour has come? Well, we see it in the first verses there, verse 27. Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. His soul's in turmoil because he understands what the cross means for himself. There's a lot of John's focused on God, uh, Jesus being God and all-powerful. But here we see his humanity quite clearly. He's a human and he knows what he's about to endure. And he's 
on the edge of asking the Father to take away this burden, to take away this pain that he's heading into. Reminds me of the um, Gethsemane situation. And in fact, his response says the same thing. He's tempted to ask Father to take away the task, but he continues, um, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus' whole point was coming to die. To ask the Father to take this away would be stupid because that's the whole reason he's become a human in the first spot. Um, And just a little reminder, Jesus didn't come to heal people. He didn't come to speak a load of wisdom which has lasted 2,000 years and people still respect. Um, He came to die building up to this point. He came to die. This is his purpose. It's incredibly painful for him. His soul is in turmoil. But that's why he came. And so instead of praying, Father, um, save me from this hour, he prays, Father, glorify your name. It's like a Gethsemane. He says, Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. Very similar idea here. Father, glorify your name. Use me to do your work. I am your obedient servant. Even though my soul is troubled, Father, glorify your name through what I'm about to do. And so last week, Jesus actually said, if you're following me, it's not an easy ride, you follow me into my death. And the call of a Christian is not a, all roses, as we all know. We walk the, the, the line. And he says, follow me into death. And as we go and die, as we see Jesus really struggling with his own death, um, we should feel that kind of brotherly camaraderie with him. People at war bond over their suffering and the fight that they're in. And when we suffer for Christ and for the gospel... Um, we united in him, in his suffering. That's the kind of idea going on here. And oh, what we can take from it is that as Christ suffered, when we suffer, Jesus really suffered. He wasn't just God, and oh, it's easy enough, go to the cross, die, I wasn't just God. He really, his soul was in turmoil. The eternal God was so in turmoil, he almost wanted God to ask him to not do this task. That was the temptation in front of him. So we can... Suffer boldly, knowing that it bonds us closer to Christ, as he did the same. Now, I said this hour, the cross, marks a change in the flow of reality. And in a sense, to mark this, after Jesus prays, God the Father answers Jesus audibly to make a big deal. Something is massive is happening. And so he answers from heaven and it's thunderous and it's weird and the people around, some saying it's thunder, some saying it's an angel speaking, um, which kind of shows that it wasn't thunder, it wasn't angel speaking, but it probably does show that they didn't understand what was said exactly. And um, Paul, when his conversion, had a similar experience. He heard exactly what said, and other people were like, what was going on there? That was mental. So this massive thunderous voice, and I imagine these two descriptions, if you put them together, you get some weird sort of sci-fi 
kind of kind of crazy voice booming from the sky as he prays to the heavens. And so it's quite a big deal for the people listening, isn't it? And think of when this happens in the Bible. It happened when Jesus was baptised. Something sound from heaven. Um, that was audible by everyone around. And that was marking who the Son of God was. The incarnation. And then this is marking his cross. And then even in Exodus, maybe the most key point in the whole Old Testament, the giving of the law on the mountain, God thundered it, the Ten Commandments, to the whole nation. When there's a talk from heaven, it marks a change in history. Um, I think Jesus says, interestingly, this voice came, not for me, but for you. And then he goes on to these three things. The reason you've just heard God thunder from heaven is because things are happening, things are changing right now. Um, And he goes on, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world. And we never think about this, do we? The judgment of the world happening at the cross. We think judgment of the world when Jesus comes back, right? Jesus comes back, that's the judgment of the world. Interestingly, he says it's now, it's here. Um, It's a bit like a policeman. Now, policemen agree, don't they, to go about professing to stand up for justice. They're meant to be upholders of the law, just and, you know, punishing criminals fairly and arresting people. But let's say this is policemen. And one day, a 12-year-old nicks a bike and he goes over to arrest him. But he is filmed beating up the child, spitting on the child, kicking him into the grounds, kicking him in the head, punching this kid. He's filmed doing all that. And it goes to court. The judge is irrelevant, right? The, the, the video is the judgment itself. The actions itself are the judgment. Um, what he did marks him guilty. Unworthy to be a policeman, right? You don't, almost don't need a court case. The actions, the violent actions, show that he's not a policeman. And so that's what's going on at the cross. Humanity's actions, murdering the Son of God, the Creator, the Holy One, the only good human who ever lived, spitting on him, beating him, mocking him, shouting, crucify him, crucify him. All this, these actions are judgments, the judgment itself on us. Humanity... When they did that, that was it. Their judgment was laid out. The policeman, once he did that, no longer a policeman. Once we murdered the Son of God, that was it. The judgment of the world (coughs) happened. And so you might think, oh, I'm not one of them. I didn't murder, I wasn't there. I didn't murder Jesus. Um, But we, uh, interesting, even the point of Peter, the best disciple, denying Christ is that he's just like them. He's just one of them. And we would be doing the same thing. We'd be in the crowd. We're going to sing later, How to Eat the Father's Love for Us. And as a line that says, Ashamed I hear my mocking voice, <coughs> crying out from the crowd, crucifying, stupid prophet, don't care about you. I hate you. That's what we're all like by nature. And so the cross marks the hour of the judgment of the world when we see what we're really like. So that's a change in reality. The flow of time has been going. 
And we've been, you know, there's been a people following God, kind of. Not very well. Been killing prophets. And God sends his only son and we kill him as well. That's it. That is. Before it was a bit up in the air, but now the judgment has come. Judgment of the world. We've sinned and sinned to get him wrongfully killed. And we've, we're just like that. And I think there's, um, in our culture, this kind of half-hearted rebel idea that, oh, I don't hate Jesus. I just don't listen to anything he says and live for myself. I don't hate him. But there's no half-hearted rebel. You're in the crowd or you're one of his people. There's no in-between. You either murdered the Son of God or you're one of his. And so, with no mincing of words, eternal destiny has been decided because you're a co-murderer of Christ. And we're all under the same judgment. But something else is achieved at the cross as well. I'm going to skip the middle one in verse 31 and go on to verse 32. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, that's saying the cross being lifted up. If I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So strangely, the same act that brings judgment on the world also draws all people to himself. Um, and remember, this whole, this whole crack of Jesus has been started by the Greeks coming to him. And so these non-Jewish people, people that weren't part of his chosen people, came to him to seek him, to follow him. And so he said, ah, this is the time. I'm drawing all people to himself. And all people doesn't mean every single person in the world. Clearly, some hated him, right? Everyone there crucified him. But all people means people of all types. So all different countries, all different languages, all different wealths, all different social status. All peoples are coming to Christ through the cross. And so the offer is on the table. The judgment of the world comes through the death of Christ, but so does the offer of salvation. The judgment and the remedy are on the table at the same time. If you repent from your sins and turn to Christ, the cross allows you to be drawn to him and become his. And he loves his people and dishes out abundant life to those that come to him at the cross. And the crowds, a little bit odd, um, start questioning the nature of the Messiah. The last few weeks you realise they've got the wrong end of the stick. They think he's going to come in and be king of Jerusalem and kick the Romans out. Um, and so they're asking him about that in verse 34. And there's a possibility you're like them. You're on the edge of believing in Christ and repenting and throwing your lot in with him. Um, but maybe there's some details holding you back. Um, maybe there's some small excuses, sin in your life that you love. But don't put off believing in Jesus because of these small excuses. Count the cost. Jesus asks a whole life transformation. But it is life abundant and eternal life with him. The option is in front of you, repent and believe and become one of Jesus' people, or remain with the judgment as a murderer of the Son of God.
And then Jesus goes on to this light and darkness thing, if you remember. Jesus is the light. He says there's an offer on the table. Either you believe in the light, me, or darkness will overtake you. The light is with you. In that case, he's saying, the light is with you now. I'm about to go away from you because I'm about to die and be ascended into heaven. So believe now. Don't faff about. Believe now. The light is temporary. And as we get the offer of the gospel in our lives, we don't get it forever. We fall into sin too deeply. We will never care again, possibly. So perhaps this is you and the light is in front of you offering um, eternal life and you've got a choice to make. So I would say, believe in the light now. Don't, don't, don't wait. Easter Sunday, what a day to put your faith in Christ. Just saying. And so the third challenging thing, so the third reality changing thing, so the fact that that's a change in history as well, isn't it? That now all people are coming to Christ. No longer is the Jewish nation held up and people are attracted to the Jewish nation and convert to it. But now, with the death of Christ, all people from around the world will hear the gospel and at Pentecost, it will be fully realised. The gospel will go out to all nations. And most of us here probably aren't Jewish and we are the product of this salvation going out to all the world. And as you know, that was history changing, was the gospel going out, wasn't it? But the third thing that's reality changing is in the second half of verse 31. Now, so now is the judgment of this world, and then now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world is the devil, and the slanderer. He's also called the Satan, the accuser, um, father of lives, prince of demons, murderer. The devil has many descriptions, um, but he's very real. And he is an angelic being who has dominion in some sense over this world. Jesus doesn't pretend he's uh, nothing. He's the ruler of this world. He has power and um, we forget that really a lot. Um, but when Jesus was lifted up, this changed as well. This, why did it change? Well, the serpent crusher has finally rocked up. The action of crushing the serpent's head is just about to happen. Satan was, all these years before, was pulling everyone to eternal destruction with him. He had this power, encouraging rebellion against God. He had his way in the Old Testament with gods and peoples and all these kind of things. But in the cross, sin is taken away from God's people. And when sin is taken away, righteousness is given to us. The demons are disarmed. They can't do anything. They're useless because they've got nothing to accuse us of. They've got no way to worm their ways into our heads and cause us to rebel. Because sin is taken away. Um, now don't get me wrong, the devil is still roaming. It's still a concern, it's still a worry. And Jesus gives him authority, the ruler of this world. He's not, he's not irrelevant. Um, he knows the world, he knows human beings. He's been doing his job since the beginning of time. And so... In, we're, we're, we are weak compared to the devil. 
But, of course, we have Jesus who is crushed the serpent's head. Um, but there's a concern for us as Christians because as the devil looks at Christians, he goes, oh, I can't touch them unless we harbour secret sin, unless we rebel at God in one place in our life, maybe secretly, maybe obviously, if we're fostering sin, letting yeast get into our souls, the devil almost sees a gap in the armour and he can creep in and devour things. If he's, and um, it's worth saying, I think pride is probably the primary thing he uses. Think of every Old Testament character, maybe worth doing some time, who fails in a big way. Pride is either the main thing or like the second thing on the list that is this in, in that story. Pride again and again and again and again and again is the downfall of people and the devil is using it. He knows how to, what to do with pride. Um, so just be aware of that sin particularly, I think. And in some senses, it's shocking to think about the deep, the devil in our Western culture because it's irrelevant for most of our lives. No one really talks about it. It's like a bit of a joke, you know. It's got little horns, rules the underworld. And I think, you've probably heard it, but I do think it's, I think it's true, maybe you disagree, but the greatest trick the devil ever pulled in the West was convincing the world he didn't exist. And I think that's definitely true. If we don't think the devil is very real, and I have this problem in my head, even if I know it's not true, I believe it a little bit, he can do what he wants. If you're fighting an enemy that you don't think exists, they're going to wreck you. You know what I mean? It's like getting sucker punched from behind. We need to acknowledge and think about Satan and demons and acknowledge their reality to be able to fight them well. Um, And yeah, if Agnes was here, but... Other cultures have a much easier time and a much better theology of demons than we do because we just basically ignore them. Um, And that's why our churches are, I think, full of unspoken sin. And we often, we don't have big confrontation disasters at churches, but breakaways and and division in the church. The devil is working and we need to acknowledge him and see him. And what is probably the devil's favorite thing is to break up churches. That is his absolute best. If he wants to rebel against God, he's going to destroy his people. And so we've got to be aware, especially as a church plant, of the devil um, possibly breaking in. So pray for the church against the devil. Um, Pray that wolves wouldn't come in. He sends his agents in um, to divide and disrupt. Um, So we need to think not just on a personal level of my sin and with the devil getting but on a church level. Um, so how do we fight him? He's much stronger than us. Pants. We're screwed. Well, by believing in the light. Um, Jesus will expose and heal the gaps in our armour. If we have that gap in our armour, the devil might use. Jesus can heal it and sort it out and cover it up and put the shield and the weapons in your hands. Yes, the devil has more power than us. He is the ruler of this world. But our king is the ruler of heaven. The ruler of the world is nothing compared to the ruler of heaven. Yeah? Our king, our ruler, our saviour, the one who won this victory is the king of kings and the lord of lords and the alpha and omega, the firstborn of all creation, who has dominion over every angel, over every power, over every kingdom. Jesus' kingdom, never going to be destroyed. The devil is going into a lake of fire. We have no need 
to fret when we, have, we turn to Christ in all these fights. So cling to Jesus. And we have no fear of the devil. Remember these three life-changing, eternity-changing things that happened on the cross. Jesus has won the victory. Let's pray. Jesus, we um, thank you for your willingness to die despite the turmoil and pain it caused you. And we praise you that it brought victory. It brought the defeat of the devil. It brought... Um, it did bring judgment of the world and we see our real natural nature before the cross. But you also brought the redemption of the world, all peoples being saved. We praise you for this church and the mix of people we have in it. Well, we pray it would be um, even more like that. Jesus, would you equip us against the devil? Um, protect this church. You are the good shepherd who protects his sheep. We pray you protect this church. Um, and Lord, would you help us love one another and um, fight sin together as Christians and followers of Christ that we might be your, your people. You won us on the cross. We are your prize. We are your people. And we thank you that we no longer mock you and spit on you. But if we have faith in Christ, we are your people. Amen.